0: Market the S&P The O6 Stops This is Motley Fool
1: Money Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is drinking through the earnings season fire hose That's right, it is February, it is earnings season and they are coming thick and they are coming fast I'm Scott Phillips and as always with me, the doctor is in the house, Dr Anirban Mahati, how are you doc? Good, Captain. How are you? Good, mate. How's earnings season treating you?
2: Uh, sometimes good, sometimes not so good.
1: <laughs> it's a bit like that, isn't it? <laughs> the, more, the more stocks you recommend, the more stocks you own, frankly, it's, the better chance that you're going to have something great and the better chance you can have something not so great. So, mate, we're going to talk a little bit, maybe even a little bit more than a little bit, about earnings season today. There's been a heap of companies out this week, some big, some small, and some that have a decent kind of showing on what's happening in the broader economy. So, we're going to spend a little bit of time on that. We are going to talk about, well, it's time to thank the Pope. We can thank the Pope for economic growth in the first quarter of 2020. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, have a think about why that might be, if you're listening. If you've already know the answer, don't tell anyone. That'd let, let be a surprise. We are getting our very own NASDAQ doc. The All Tech Index is about to be born. That's happening on Monday. We have another brokerage in the US being bought by another investment bank, and we'll talk about what that means for investors. And, as always, what are we going to dip into, mate? The mailbag. The Motley Fool mailbag. And we are very excited Let's get on with it.
0: Let's do it. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au
1: forward slash triple M. All right, buddy. Now, we started without a tangent this morning, so I'm pretty happy with that so far. Um, Let's start, mate, with earnings season. We're recording this on Friday the 21st of February before the market opens. So at some point during this podcast, the market will open. And if we go quiet, that'll be because our companies haven't done very well this morning. If we're more excited, well, you can assume things are pretty good. It's been a big week already though, mate. So much going on. Let's talk in a couple of categories here. The first I want to talk about is retail. Now, one company was on the ASX, but it's still worth talking about. And a couple that are listed, David Jones. Remember David Jones? Remember that shop people used to go to?
2: Well, I sometimes go there.
1: Do you? What do you... (laughs) I I can't remember. What what do you go to David Jones for?
2: Oh, I just walk there to see how deserted it looks.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's mean. Do you actually shop there? No don't know either. But but
2: I do walk through it sometimes.
1: Or <laughs> <laughs> well, from the car park to the main centre of the mall.
2: No, sometimes it's an easier walk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Mate, so look, DJ's, it was it was pretty ugly, quite frankly. Um the the David Jones brand apparently profit fell by about half to a mere twenty million dollars. Now it's a lot of money for me and you if I happily have it in my back pocket. But when you when your profit halves the reality is if you lose the same dollar value and profit again next year, well, you go from making money. You're actually starting to lose money and things get much, much worse, quite frankly, from from then on. Now, interestingly enough, DJ is select, its not listed anymore. It's, we can't invest in it. So we're only talking about it at least to some degree because it's a big storied name. It's a, you know, well, Myra, I guess, is still listed. So there is some relevance there. It, the The interesting thing was sales online grew phenomenally. But their physical, maybe it's not surprising. It's certainly interesting. But their physical store sales are still the problem. And when you've got a store network this big with that much footage, um, that means that you know that sized fixed cost between rent and staff and fittings and inventory and everything else. This feels like a disaster, kind of just waiting to happen, doesn't
2: it? It does, yeah. Um, you know, in a way, maybe it's um, uh, what should I say? People have been saved from uh, David Jones uh, in, terms of, <laughs> in terms of investing because it's no longer investable. Someone else has taken it off our market for <laughs> yeah, us. Yeah, uh, somebody uh, somebody else has done a favour. Oh man, what a bad uh, buy! Uh, hey? To, to the, I mean, maybe there's something here. I mean, you know, you, you I mean, it has a brand, but does it, mm. the brand probably doesn't even matter in this
1: case? I think and, that's interesting, right? I mean, yeah. I think it does have some sort of brand, and and people. I mean, there are reasons in the shop. If I was going to buy a suit, I probably would still get a DJ's, just because you get to kind of go and see a dozen, fifteen brands all in one place. You can kind of look through and choose it. So. There are places where, or times where, I guess I can imagine. Go. I can't think of what else I'd go for. I yeah, really how, can't.
2: yeah, the problem is, how many times is someone buying a suit? You yeah, know that's what I it, mean? right? Yeah, that's yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And and everything else you used to go to DJs for. You go there. I mean, I remember buying books there. I remember buying electronics there in the past. These days, the you know the shopping center is the old department store. There's no reason to go there anymore.
2: Yeah, I know. Yeah, I think. I think again, the online growing is is interesting, but um, yeah, that that is a old school business that's dying a slow
1: death. Now, mate. Speaking of retail, because this is really important, right? Everyone's blaming coronavirus. Everyone's talking about the weak economy. I want to talk about a couple that did reasonably well, though. We had Super Retail Group out. I want to say, was it Wednesday? Their days are all... <laughs> there's so many earnings. The days are all kind of rolling together. Super the, the super cheap auto brand, sales are up, I want to say, 3.6% year-on-year. At Rebel Sports, sales are up 3.7% year-on-year. Um, Domino's managed to increase same-store sales 6.6% a year. As I've already mentioned, online sales are growing at David Jones, uh, Kogan, I own shares. Um, you know, sales were up there as well. Is there real? I mean, well, firstly, let me talk about the other two. So, Super Retail and Domino's, your thoughts on the results from those two companies?
2: Well, I, I mean, you know, I mean, the results were good. Mm-hmm. They're not great, right? I mean, uh, what was the growth for Super You're Retail? You're right, man, mean, mate,
1: Domino's I mean, shares I mean, up 7%. Like, come on. You know,
2: the Shares can be up whatever they want to, right? I mean... <laughs> Like, I mean, if you look at the group level, right, how much was super retail up? I mean, super retail did 1.4 billion or 1.5 billion, something like that. They're up like, what, 2%, 3%? Like, mm. I mean, this is a, like any company of this scale mm. that is increasing at 2%, all you need it, it need is if for, for its revenue to fall by 3% and all of a sudden you go into some loss, right? Mm. So,
1: But an uh, economy that's growing at a couple of percent, I mean, if you can do above economy growth, that's about as much as you can be expected to do, right? Well,
2: yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying, all I'm saying is that you know like the result is good yeah commendable for what it is but i mean if you think about it from an investment point of view like I mean, this is a risky investment if we, you know irrespective of the price right i mean you need it you know something happens five percent the other side and all of a sudden you could swing into a good
1: loss right mm-hmm. uh high fixed cost base so well that's it particularly for retail the, yeah, you know the, I mean, they call it unit economics in the jargon it's really it's 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 kind of hard to explain, ish, but it's super, super powerful, right? You've got a massive fixed cost. These guys are making net margins of, you know, cents in the dollar. Woolies makes about four or five percent. These guys might make ten or something. The reality is, though, as you rightly say, mate, if you if your sales declines by even a few percent, yeah, at store level, that pretty much plunges you in a loss automatically.
2: Yeah, and and I mean, you know, the online, which well, or the omni-channel retailers, they call it, <laughs> um, you know, that was up what twenty-two percent. So that's, I mean, mm. that's good, right? I mean, it's a, I guess. Yeah. And, like, I mean, the point might be that there are good retailers who are sort yep. of managing in this uh, very tough environment. So mm-hmm. I'm not taking anything away from them. All I'm saying is that they might be good retailers. Are they good investments is a separate question of altogether. Of course, of course. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so nothing, taking away nothing from that. And Domino's, I, I actually haven't looked at the results. I mean, it's impressive how... Here's the thing I don't understand with Domino's, right? How can you get people, the same number of people... To have more pizza next year. <laughs> like I mean I mean, like They're how does that it. how They're does, does it. It really work?
1: Well we going? like come on.
2: About it Is there anyone way.
1: in this country who can't do that other pizza? I've gotta say, over uh, the next no. year, do, do something for Domino's, do something for the country. Have another pizza is all I'm saying.
2: Yeah, but, but I mean, just think about it. Like, how much more pizza can like I mean, there's a there's got to be a ceiling to pizza having, right? Like, I mean, you know, yeah. yeah. So I mean, there was one, a
1: there was a Creedence Clearwater song Doc once called "Fortunate Son," and yeah. the, the line was, "When they asked me how much should I give, the only answer more, more, more." I'm thinking that's the that's Domino's new new advertising line. How much pizza can I eat? The answer is more.
2: Like I mean, I, I, it's, you know, phenomenal results. <laughs> which, you know, if you if you think about yeah. your sales growth at that. At scale, going up ten percent. So, like you know, I said one point five billion or something for super retail, right? Yep. Compare that with just selling pizza, and you you know you sell pizza <laughs> and you sell one point six billion. So I'm gonna I'm gonna so say one point six billions of pizza. Like <laughs> I mean, just you just think that in your head. How much pizza is that?
1: The company said, you know, this is uh, I, I I hate jargon and I hate particularly kind of trendy marketing jargon. But Domino's call it cocooning. They reckon we're all staying at home a bit more, watching Netflix and eating pizza at home. That that's their explanation that people are changing their habits and not going out as much. Yeah. They're happy to stay at home and order a Domino's.
2: I would like to know how much is Uber Eats part of this thing. Apparently
1: nothing. So this is fascinating. So they're right? not doing any Uber Eats. In Australia, The they're kind of, they call it ag- the aggregators. So those people, the Uber Eats and the Deliveroo's. Just and the kind of, and right, that kind like of that, stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Apparently in, in Australia, it's between 1% and 3% of Domino's business comes from the aggregators. In, the, in Europe, where they have op- operations, about somewhere between a, of a fifth and a quarter. So here right now, Domino's are so phenomenally large and dominant as a share of mind. people are buying their online pizzas directly from the company. In Europe, about one in four, one in five is being done through an aggregate.
2: You know, I'd like to hop onto their conference call one day and I'm going to ask them, what's your <laughs> TAM for pizza?
1: The total addressable market.
2: For pizza. I really need Let's to say, So
1: there's 25 million Australians and we have 365 dinners each a year. So, you multiply that, that's pretty big. That's a lot of pizza. Pet- if we all have, that- and like there's lunches. Yeah. You can have breakfast pizza too. I'm thinking breakfast pizza. So, so that's a, well, let's round it for a thousand meals a year. Yeah. Per person. Yeah. What's 25 million times a thousand? Can you do those numbers in your head? It's 25 yeah. billion? 25 billion. There you go. Yeah. And then multiply that by 10 bucks a pizza. $250 billion is the town for that one. All right. Just in Australia. Exactly. Right. Oh, okay. Think about the rest of the world. It's
2: huge, mate. I think they might have punched you as the CEO. Very,
1: very long growth runway. Right <laughs> you might be the next CEO on tap. <laughs> anyway, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the company a wrap. It is a recommendation of ours for the record. Um, quick uh, quick. Um, spoiler alert. I will be talking about Dominance a little bit later when someone asks about our greatest investment mistakes. That might be today or it might be on Sunday. So stand by for that. Oh, let the cat out of the bag. Yep, it's going to be a mailbag episode on Sunday. Get excited. Uh, I'm, I'm just really impressed I think they've done a spectacular job mate even even to that point of how much can they possibly convince us to eat over the, we could have said that five years ago right six years ago eight years ago the growth in, in pizza the growth in Domino's in particular I think it's you know it gets a hard time and I think probably unjustifiably um, I think it's done a pretty bloody good job to be so dominant so successful and frankly grow at a compound rate so significant given we're a mature population market as you say in theory you would have said ten years ago how much more pizza can we possibly eat the growth over that time has been pretty impressive
2: yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. I just don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: because you're not eating enough pizza, mate. All right. Now, let's move on. Let's not spend too much more time on pizza. Um, next one I want to talk about is a category. I'll, I'll kind of I'm throw a massive blanket over this one. It's not that big, but let's call it coronavirus slash travel slash tourism. Webjet, Qantas, and Sydney Airport all out this week. Um, I think Webjet was this week. Was it late last week? Anyway. Uh, this
2: week. This week. Yeah, this <laughs>
1: Again, week. I don't know what day it is. Um, so so coronavirus, travel, tourism, big, big deal. Qantas is cancelling how many flights? Some stupid number of flights in and out of Asia because of this. Um, at the same time, by the way, the shares were up yesterday by was it six percent? I want to say. You know why? The magic word or two words, me how you spell it? Buybacks. Um, so so basically, tra- travel was down. Mm-hmm. The business is not doing well, but we're going to buy back some shares, and that was enough. The, the only thing, if you were a CEO and your job depended on getting the share price up, all you would do is say the word buyback, and you could cash your cheque. Australians love a buyback. We love a special dividend. So, corner shares are up even though they're cancelling just test scores and scores of flights. Webjet, funnily enough, their domestic business was flat but their international business was the real shining light for that operation. And then Sydney Airport was, I think, actually better than I expected. Over the year, international transport or international travel I should say, was only down 1 point, sorry, was up 1.1%. So, actually up. Domestic was down 0.5% for a flat overall result. So, what, what Put that in context for me, mate. Between the coronavirus and the tourism and the weak economy and everything else, just kind of wherever you want to start with those three companies, but what do you kind of make of what's happening with tourism and travel?
2: Yeah, so I, I think what Qantas is doing is not dissimilar to what, say, other, other airlines are doing. So Singapore Airlines, for example, has cut. You, you know, here's the thing, right? Airlines probably know by looking at mm. the current rate of booking as to what they expect the load is going to be in May. Right. So Singapore Airlines, for example, is cutting flights into Sydney from Singapore in May already. Um, and, and I think it makes sense, right? Because, you know, you can if you cut the flight already, then you've basically reduced at least the flight expenses out. So, you know, you, you compensate right. for um, the reduction in traffic on the network, which makes sense. You know, you've got basically 1.3 billion people who are essentially out of travel um, um, right now, out of circulation in the travel market. Uh, that being China, and then of course you add to the mix the fact that you can't people can't even transit through China anymore, right? B- because if you transit via China, you wouldn't be able to, for example, enter Australia. Right. Um,
1: so I think it makes sense. I think what they're doing is very prudent. Um, Why are investors not more worried about? I mean, Qantas shares were up, as I said. So this, I mean, yes, a buyback's positive, but as you say, Singapore Airlines canceling May flights, Qantas is it's going to cancel more flights. Uh, some some people would say, and you've said before, maybe even last week. In a rational market, that surely should have seen Qantas's share price at least flat, if not lower. But it was up six or seven percent. Yeah, like I mean, so I mean, I'm I'm not I don't follow Qantas that
2: closely. Well, you know, I, I, I can contextualise a little bit. For mm. example, we in the context of something like Web um, Webjet, which we which we have recommended. So I, I follow that. It's so, like I mean, Webjet, for example, had very good results, right? Mm. As as you just said, you know, top line really good top line growth, really good um, operating earnings growth they Flagged some slowdown because of um a corona, uh, but but here's the thing right, a lot of the travel industry, and, I, and this is not a specific comment about um Qantas because again, I don't know the fundamentals of that business, right? But a lot of the travel industry, so if you think about um things like WebJet and things like Flight Center, for example, they have you know they have all been mm. uh, in the penalty box, yeah. so to say, for a long time, right? I yeah. mean, in a way, you could say that well, there's a lot of pessimism already baked into. Um, the share prices of these businesses. And uh, maybe the market at this point thinks, well, you know, maybe it's it's not as bad as it looks. I mean, that's, that's one way of thinking about it. Um, the other way to think about this is that, you know, I think the market... You know, this is just a uh, hypothesis, but yeah. the market has become used to the fact that, well, you know, if something really goes wrong in, in China, they're going to prop up the economy. So they're going to basically, you know, right, in, inject right. money. Um, everybody loves money is being injected <laughs> as equivalent to essentially <laughs> lower rates yeah. uh, or, you know, rates will be cut here. So, I mean, if every, even the rates are cut, right. basically share price should go up because, you know, essentially asset prices go up because of rates being being cut. Is so the market getting smarter. Yeah, I, 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 like, you know, I think, like, you know, for uh, easy to understand businesses, mm. I think the edge as an investor slowly but steadily is bleeding away because um, it's not good, uh, it's not good. <laughs> definitely not good.
1: You tell me I should give up and get another job.
2: You, uh, you know, like, I mean, I think, the quant machines basically can quickly arrive at a fair value. <laughs> And and the share price is going to you know bounce around around those fair values mm. quite easily. So I think that that's what that's what's happening to large sections of the market. Um, but that's I mean you know like you know a business like Webjet, which is growing, say. Um, you know, 25%, it's, it's you know, transaction volume. It's, I don't know how much was the, uh, off the top, how much was the better growth for this thing?
1: Okay, it was phenomenal. was phenomenal. Forty, forty. Yeah, so for,
2: Yeah, for something like that, the, the market is paying like 18, 19
1: yeah. times. That's so pretty cheap if you think, well, so there's already... If you compound that, I mean, if, if you if you can grow your product, I mean, it won't grow at that rate forever, yeah. of course, but if, I mean, that, that's a double every, you know, two and a half, three years, yeah. you know, reasonably conservatively, now maybe it's four or five, even if it's five years, that's 15% compound growth. You're paying 18 times for that. That's a pretty good deal. That's a
2: pretty good deal. So I think it there's... The market, I own shares,
1: I should say for the Yes, record. the
2: market basically is saying, well, you know, look, um, we've already beaten this thing up and up. Now, now, <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably right. The, the I think the flip side is that maybe the market to some extent is complacent. And just to put just the right. other side of the story here, the market might be complacent. They might be looking at the coronavirus numbers being stabilized. Mm. And... Thinking, okay, this thing is under control. In you know, the governments around the world have been very proactive, like mm. you know, in terms of sealing borders and things like that. So, I mean, they have all been willing to take the short term hit, yeah, um, in order to sort of keep this uh, under control and therefore manageable. So maybe that's the hope here, the, and and but the other side is if it if it doesn't if it does spiral out, then I think mm. nothing is baked in. So I mean, that's the, the other side,
1: mate. So last last question give us a bit of detail on Webjet so when we think about Webjet most people are thinking about Webjet.com.au the Australian flight comparison site maybe people don't even realize there's the whole lot of accommodation and packages they sell as well but that's not the story in fact more than half of the profit I want to say this year came from something other than Webjet.com.au what's powering Webjet's growth? Yeah so there's this thing, little thing called
2: Webbeds not so right? little anymore that's, that's not, it's number two <laughs> and uh, so this basically provides accommodation and things like that right mm-hmm. Um and, uh, yeah, this thing is growing at a phenomenal rate. Uh, it counts for, what, 60% of their operating profits yep. now. And this, I think, came from an acquisition a while back. So, right. I mean, it's, it's been a, a good acquisition for them. And, uh, yeah, like, I mean, the local market is not going to grow at a phenomenal rate because, again, it's a small market. Yeah. But, you know, by, by basically being a global player, you, uh, you are able to essentially tap into global growth, right? Mm-hmm. So, I think that's what they're doing. Yeah, so, I mean, that's the interesting part of the business um it's, it's like basically taking a portion of business that is uh, pretty profitable and then using it to grow sort of another business, which mm. is now pretty mm. profitable. So, um, yeah.
1: Pretty good. Uh, and the interesting yeah, well, I, I think John Gussick's doing a great job at Webjet for the record. I was going to say the difference between great management, not so great. I think that's probably even a fair characterization, but certainly that deal's been a very, very successful one for Webjet. They aggregate hotel beds effectively. So if you think about a, a TripAdvisor, an Expedia, or a What If... Effectively, Webbeds is the Webjet business that does this. Basically, takes all of the, the inventory from the hotels, um, b around Europe in particular, most specifically, and kind of combines all of that into a platform that these guys can actually grab from, and it's doing a really, really good job of doing it, as you say, doc number two in the, in the world. Uh, mate, let's finish off earnings season quickly with a couple of big ones just because they're kind of notable, and I, I want to get your thoughts. Westpac came out this week after Commonwealth Bank last week talking about, frankly, things are going to be – a Pretty ugly for the bank. Um, now, again, I think shares are up on the day, or at least not down by much. Um, they're possibly going to have to put more money into defending the Oztrack investigation and potential, I think there's two or three class actions that are now out there. There's a penalty of up to, some people saying up to a billion dollars going to have to pay. And again, like CBA, it's struggling to find growth anywhere. Now, I will say, you, you've mentioned, you've talked about CBA before, at least Westpac's PE is somewhere around 13.8 last I saw. So Commonwealth Bank's was at 18. Now, maybe it deserves to be a premium bank because it's... Frankly, not bitten, dragged through the mud with um with track right now, but um, arguably not as well. Um, thirteen point eight times for Westpac, given what it's confronting, does that get into fair value territory for you?
2: Yeah, maybe. I mean, again, with with all of these banks, right? I mean, there's this big overhang question of mm. what's happening in the property market, right? I mean, right, right. Um, and yeah, like I mean, maybe at thirteen times, it's more value than eighteen times, I guess. Um, but, I mean, there's no real growth here mm-hmm. and um, it's hard to see how they can keep growing. So, I don't know. From even
1: even they're saying, which is, I find this, I'm fascinated by it. <laughs> Maybe it's because there's not many other options for income-seeking investors in Australia. Maybe it's because of our love affair with banks. When two big bank CEOs come out and basically, I won't say wave the white flag because I don't want to be too disrespectful to those guys. They're doing their best. But they're both basically saying, look, this is going to be a hard slog, right? We're running through a treacle right now. This is not going to come easy the next lot of growth. Um, so just just know that. Now that's a, I'll give them some credit for saying that out loud because that's important. But the market effectively either already thinks it knew that and the price are already fair, or hasn't listened at all, or simply Australian investors don't feel like they have anywhere else to be. And so well, what else do you do? The old one of my favorite acronyms of recent times, you forget your fall your, your your Yolos and your fomos and whatever. You know Tina, you heard of Tina? There is no alternative. So kind of that was that was born around the time when everyone's investing in stocks because interest rates were so low, and so you, there was no alternative you had to be in stocks. It just strikes me at the moment, maybe for Australian investors, banks are the tenor of the ASX. What else do you do? There is no alternative for big conservative investors, for big funds, for big index trackers. I guess you kind of have to own the banks.
2: Yeah, so I get it for the industry, index trackers. I mean, index trackers, by definition, have to own the index, so that's fine. Or those people who, you know, are doing some variation of the index, they have to own the index constituents, maybe in slightly different proportions. Mm. That makes sense. Like, I mean, I, I don't... I don't get the fascination. So, I mean, the big funds don't necessarily need to own only Australian equities, right? Mm-hmm. For example. So, I mean, if, if everybody's piling into the same equities, well, you know, you've got a lot of money basically chasing a small equity <laughs> pool. That's not good. Uh, the same thing I would say for, you know, individual investors. I mean, the, there are two ways to get yield, right? Mm-hmm. You can get yield via the yield offered by the company, mm-hmm. or you can get yield via some, you know, share price appreciation. Just You could just sell some to get
1: your yield, right? Or you can... Buy a membership to multifilled ex- everlasting income. Well, yeah, yeah, you could do that too. <laughs> or, or, or you know, like, I mean, you could. Shameless d- plugs, I'm sorry. Yeah,
2: uh, and you could also do a combination. You could buy yeah, something right. like WebJet and get maybe like, you know, 2% right, yield right, right. and some, uh, you know, hopefully capital appreciation along the way. So, I mean, there's a combination of things. I think here's the thing I think nobody thinks about, right? So, CB is an 18 times P. Mm-hmm. How much is the share price if that P somehow corrects to 13?
1: Yeah, no, that's going to go down a lot. <laughs> It's about a nine dollars share price now, so back at the envelope, yeah, that puts down the low seventies, right?
2: Yeah. yeah, and it could go down to twelve.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> right.
2: exactly. It could go down to ten. sixty—that'd
1: right? be a lot. Yes, yeah, yeah. not, not good. Not good.
2: And and uh, so I think I think people don't think about that, yep. and I think that is part of the reason why these the, you know the, the unsustainably high stock prices look unsustainably high. Yeah. Uh, but they're sustained because people don't think about it. But you know, um, yeah, uh, for my money, I would not touch uh cba right now it looks looks too expensive i mean westpac i mean if you really think that you know westpac (laughs) fair value should go up Then maybe it's more interesting than uh, um than cba but yeah again you know i'm not a bank investor
1: i I have to say for what it's worth i'm not either particularly we do own one of the major banks in a very small proportion everlasting income that i talked about before um because we kind of figure it's like it's four percent position or six percent it was tiny tiny position Uh, but we felt it was worthwhile having as part of a diversified portfolio where we're looking for income specifically, not for market beating. It's the only service we have at Motley Fool Australia that isn't engineered to beat the market because we are trying to cater to people who want income first and moderate capital growth after that. So different different objectives. Um, That being said, it's worth also pointing out that I think when you're investing in the banking sector, there's a decent chance that if you continually buy the cheapest of the big four banks, you're probably going to do relatively better then trying to own them all or pick the, the best one out of just because they do tend to move as a pack, prices are what prices are. You know, system growth is system growth, right? You're not going to have one bank grow at ten percent; the other one decline at ten percent anytime soon because they just they're so dominant, so massive in the market, they can't help but be dragged around. Yeah, you know, maybe you get one or two percentage points maximum outside the market overall growth. But if you're an Australian retail bank, you're going to get what the Australian retail banking sector gets more or less, aren't you?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: My last one is Origin Energy. It was out this week. A couple of, couple of interesting kind of points. And I, I, I don't know that – I'll see what you've got to say about it. Firstly, they profit was down. They blamed re-regulation of prices. Now, from a consumer perspective, that sounds to me like Australian consumers have actually had a win from the government imposing themselves on the uh, pricing set by the energy retailer. So we can call it a win for the consumers and a loss for the company, at least as, if you believe they're, they're thinking. I also saw this morning they were considering shutting down Australia's largest coal burning power plant. And so, we don't want to get either environmental or political, but there's a lot coming going on at Origin Energy. I'm just curious as to do your thoughts on whether this is an interesting sector for you, given everything's beaten down, given the market doesn't love it, is there value left in energy retail?
2: I don't even look at it, so <laughs> that's
1: my answer. And why is that?
2: Well, it's just, I, I just don't like sectors where you know i have to figure out what is happening with the politics what's happening <laughs> with the you know the 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 price of the raw material what's happening right it's just not my thing um it, it doesn't excite me it doesn't interest me it you know yeah it's somebody else's thing it's just not you know the energy sector is not um a sector that I play at all in i basically don't even look at it so
1: makes sense i i also ignore it for a different reason actually though it may be related I see energy retailing as retailing, not as energy. Right? It's kind of it is what it is it retails energy, so it's both by definition to some degree. And yes, Origin has some generation assets, but generally speaking, if you're retailing a commodity product, then and and the product is literally the same product. If where you buy your energy from, no matter who you buy it from, you're getting the same you know voltage, wattage, amperage, whatever it is down the down the power lines. I'm clearly not an expert, uh, and and you know at the end of the day. People are going to tend to the cheaper of the options, particularly when government regulation has already stipulated the sort of pricing that can be charged. It's very, very hard to make any sort of margin there. And I think at some level, it's a little bit like telcos, right? We talk about telcos as if they're interchangeable, but if all you do is resell the NBN, you're effectively a white-label retailer, right? Not even really a telco in any meaningful way. And again, I just think that's a tough way to try and make a buck. If you can't exercise any pricing power or product differentiation, you kind of wonder what's left, don't you?
2: Yeah, like, I mean, I agree with that. Again, I think it's, you know, some sectors are boring and therefore we just leave them.
1: Now, mate, they say you shouldn't talk about sex, politics or religion. We're going to break that rule. Stay tuned. All right. Motley Fool Money.
0: Financial advice for
1: real people, not trust fund hippies.
0: Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M.
1: Well, whether you're happy about it or not, we're not going to touch on sex or politics. We are going to talk about religion, at least in passing. And no, we're not going to get serious. Um, I saw a great article during the week uh, saying we should thank Pope Gregory for economic growth during the first quarter of 2020. And that's a pretty impressive headline. So, of course, I did what everyone has to do when you click on the headline try and try to work out what's going on. It may well be that the Pope is saving us from the worst of the worst. Maybe the Pope might be even saving us from recession. Not this, Not this Pope. Pope Gregory. Now, the story goes that the Pope was responsible, apparently, back in the day, for adding a leap year to our calendar every four years to keep Easter roughly where it's supposed to be. As, again, I, I don't claim any particular religious or historical expertise here, but apparently that's the story. Now, an average quarter has got 90 days in it, right? Three months, 90 days. If you add February 29 to the first quarter of the year, you add an extra day. Now, one day doesn't sound like much over 90, except that's about 1.1%. And if you think about what economic growth tends to be or, you know, around the place... We also know, by the way, the ABS doesn't standardize for this stuff. So if the economy grows by anything less than 1.1% in total, effectively we will have been saved from negative growth by January twenty nine, and we can all thank Pope Gregory. Are we all now
2: Catholic, Snock? Sounds like a reason to become Catholic.
1: <laughs> doesn't it? We'll all be thanking Pope Gregory, lighting a can of Pope Gregory. I don't want to I don't want to offend anybody by using too much religious uh, reference, so I'll stop there. But... um. I just thought that was, I, I hadn't realized, I didn't know. For everything else that the ABS adjusts for, they apparently just simply don't adjust for an extra day. And so whatever growth we think we're getting, it's kind of thanks to the calendar's quirk.
2: That's, you know, that's not that's not good of ABS. <laughs> They're just doing less work. They're being that? lazy.
1: <laughs> well, how, do you, how do you take out February 29 sales? How do you know what was sold on that day and take that out?
2: No, you just take the, you you know, a quarter is 90 days. Yeah. So if you've got 91 days in your quarter, mm-hmm. you just divide that. You know, take that one day out. You know, what if divide what if by was, ninety-one? Multiply. What,
1: if was a, what if it was a Sunday? Or, uh, you know, no, everyone was just, shopping that you day. Just,
2: just you average it out. <laughs> just divide by ninety-one, multiply by ninety.
1: So, are you are you calling? Are you calling for Pope Gregory to be? Uh, no, no, Pope Gregory is not at fault here. Oh, okay, no not blame the Pope. Okay, <laughs> good start. Good start. So Saves being in <laughs> just, trouble.
2: You know, it's just the ABS should just do a simple math here.
1: So, so rather than the Catholics coming at us with pitchforks. You got the statisticians coming at us with pitchforks. Is that right?
2: Yeah. There are fewer of them. <laughs>
1: and then normally, oh, I was going to say they're more mild-mannered. I don't know whether they're more mild-mannered than Catholics, but statisticians aren't the sort of people who are going to get particularly energised about this thing, are they?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the hope, at least. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's move on. Real money advice from real people. Not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche.
0: Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate,
1: some news out this morning breaking in the AFR. Now, by the time you listen to this, it probably will have been formally announced. Australia is getting its own NASDAQ index. We can get the trumpet players to do their thing and pop the champagne and... was that? That's the trumpet. A bit of dance music? I was saying like a bit of electronic. I you thought you were going to be, be dance music on me, a bit of rave.
2: Yeah, but, but, ooh, you know, ooh. it's like... <laughs> 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 NASDAQ. <laughs>
1: that's what it is. I'm not sure that's... The... Anyway. Um... Okay. That, that's the best I could do. Okay. I appreciate that. Um, so... It turns out, we have already have, by the way, a sector on our ASX, which is information technology, but apparently that's not good enough or at least not exciting enough or sexy enough or something. So the good folk at ASX and S&P have decided we did a new technology index. Now, in the US, the NASDAQ is its own exchange, so we should call that out specifically. It's not just a tech index as such. It's the index of the whole exchange. We're not quite doing that. We're not launching a new exchange here, but the ASX has decided, I think it's 20 companies up front, that's now the ASX all technology index. And if you want to invest in tech, then that's the index for you. What are we thinking, mate? Good news, bad news, indifferent, do we care?
2: Well, mindly care. You know, it has a thing, right? You know, I hear the fact that it's being called the Nasdaq, whatever, whatever. I mean Australia's own Nasdaq, mate. Yeah. Come on, get with the I, branding. I, I mean I yeah, I can't get behind that branding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with that, mate? So there's plenty of listeners here who are thinking, thank God I can finally invest in a tech index. I've wanted to buy Australian tech forever. Now I get a chance. Is that not a good thing? Should they be thinking differently about
2: it? Well, I mean, okay. So I mean, if somebody wanted to buy... I think, okay, so I was coming to a positive. The positive would be that if somebody wanted a wholesale exposure to tech on the ASX, mm-hmm. I'm sure somebody's going to, you know, once the index comes out... Um, you know, now that you, once you've got an index, somebody's going to come up with an ETF, and basically there's going to be a bunch of ETFs that you know and are variations that are going to be mimicking, uh, in some shape or form, that index, right? So I mean, there's going to be a direct way to invest into that thing. Um, so that that I think is is positive. I mean, on the other hand, you know, if it's only twenty companies, you could have just bought all twenty if you wanted to, um, unless of course you know, yeah, you want to invest small sums over a period of time. That that makes sense. So I think it's mildly positive on that sense. I mean uh, I think the comparison to Nasdaq is a little bit uh extreme.
1: Sure, surely the ASX isn't just doing this to get to trade. Doc. Come on. I mean they they care about our reserves. They don't want us to just uh, us <laughs> branded that way surely, do they? Well, I mean it's it's a way to it's a way to get visibility. <laughs> I mean, I mean
2: yeah. So like I mean the Nasdaq is a, is is a is a market, right? Yeah. Just like the New York Stock Exchange, Nasdaq and the ASX, like it's a market, yep. but
1: It's an exchange.
2: Yeah, it's an exchange. And at the same time what I think what everybody thinks about NASDAQ is, uh, or oh they take tech, tech, they're thinking of the NASDAQ 100 index, mm-hmm. right? So that's 100 out of the many thousands of companies that are listed there, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. um, there's some parallel there, right? You know, you're taking 1,700, 1,800 companies on the SX and you're saying, I'm going to put 20, that list is supposed to grow to 40 something mm-hmm. over time because there are some uh, liquidity restrictions um, imposed. But, you know, like, I mean, yeah, it's an interesting thing to try. I'm not sure mm. beyond giving people the ability to buy wholesale the entire thing, um, the advantages. So, I mean, maybe that's, you know, just getting some publicity, some, yeah.
1: Mate, can I do something? Yeah. Can I get a maha house? Sure. Excellent. Here we go. It's been <laughs> a while. If you're new to the podcast, sometimes I rant. Today's going to be one of those days. And then Doc's eventually going to try and calm me down and Put me back in my seat so we can get on with the rest of the podcast. I think the idea of an Australian tech index as a concept is a wonderful one. As an executed idea, I think it is not exactly terrible, but pretty bloody ordinary. And here is why. The marketing is all going to be about Australia's NASDAQ and about tech, about how great tech is and all these wonderful motherhood statements about everything you should buy because, hey, it's tech and there's Google and Facebook and Amazon in the US, so buy it here. And it's going to be, hey, this is great. One click, one link. Hey, it's an index. It's an ETF gonna, you know, there'll be ETFs linked to it, don't worry about that. The the whole idea is supposed to be, at least if you believe the marketing, hey, this is all for you. It's all about giving you access. It's all about making it easy. It's all about the great growth stories of tomorrow, all that kind of wonderful stuff. Now, i got to say, mate, I just don't love the idea because people aren't going to be exercising their own ability to make those good quality choices. When you run extreme opportunities at the Motley Fool for us, you don't just buy every tech stock out there because it's a tech stock. You go through and say, which are the best ones I want to buy, which have the best chance of beating the market? And it's a very, very easy thing to, to do for the index, for the exchange creators, for S&P, for ASX to create this thing and one of those build it and they will come. There is are going to be thousands of investors out there this morning saying, oh, thank God, now I can finally do this. And that's as much thought as I'll put into it Because they'll do the linkage, which is exactly what's being expected of them, to say, hey, it's out there, it's a thing, you can buy it now, and everyone says, oh, I guess that sounds like a good idea. Then I I want Australia's NASDAQ, I want to buy tech, I want to make it easy for myself. One, two, three, problem solved, I'll buy the ETF, and I'm away. And I think that is just a really, really lazy and potentially dangerous thing for Australian investors to be doing. Now, I'm not saying the stocks are going to do badly. For all I know, they're going to beat the market. But if you're not looking at the construction of that index, If I said, here's here's an index of 20 US tech companies you want to buy it, your first question would be actually, which companies are they and how are they priced and what does their future look like? And if I said, look, it's Amazon, Google, Apple, Facebook, Netflix, you might think, okay, that sounds reasonable, I can buy that. If I said it was another 20 companies you'd never heard of or 20 companies just arbitrarily chosen by some index provider, do you feel great about that? I don't think you probably do. So I love the idea that Australian investors want to get growth stocks. I love the idea they're looking at technology. It will be shaping the future in some way, shape or form. I don't love the fact they're looking at this now and saying, this is easy. It's somehow some default choice that everyone's going to make arbitrarily. Of course, that's what the exchange wants you to do because they want to make money with you trading. Just resist the temptation. If it's great, buy it. If it's not great, please don't buy it. Don't get sucked in by the marketing. There are better ways to invest in tech. Again, selfishly, I'll say Doc's EO service is wonderful. Even if it's not that, do your own research, find the stocks you like, buy those. Don't just buy an index because that's there. It's not the way this investing thing is supposed to work. <sighs> better? I feel so much better. Thank you for that. I'm going to have a much better day now. <laughs> Am I right? Am I wrong, mate? What, what's going on?
2: Oh, I think, yeah. I think you have a point.
1: <laughs> that was very diplomatic.
0: <laughs> we probably should move on. Get more Motley full money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M.
1: All right, mate. I want to get a quick, uh, a quick thought from you. Uh, I tweeted this morning. And we'll, I'll go through our socials in a minute. I tweeted this morning about... Morgan Stanley in the US, the investment bank, is buying ETrade, the big brokerage firm. Um, it's on hot on the heels of – who bought TD Ameritrade? Somebody. I can't remember who now. Uh, wasn't it Schwab? It was Schwab. You're right. Yeah. Lots of research being done here. Um, mate, the, this comes on the back of the $0 brokerage in the US. Now, I love $0 brokerage. I love the idea of us being able to access the markets without those frictional costs. That's a, that's a good thing. Now, on the flip side, we need to be very careful that we don't all just decide to – do that because you know it's easy to do, and you know it can it can create bad behaviors like overtrading, for example. But generally speaking, I think it's net net a good thing. Except that when the investment banks are buying these guys, it kind of tells you exactly what their strategy is, right? Like, if I say to you, "Hey, do you want to, do you want to buy a business that doesn't make any money?" You're like, "No, no, I don't think I do." Do you want to have a business that doesn't have any, doesn't have a revenue model in in making? Tr- they're a broker, right? Yeah, do they charge for trades? No, no, no. Well, Why would I buy it? Why are Morgan Stanley and Schwab buying brokerages? What's going on in the background?
2: So I think what's happening is basically, like, so Charles Schwab, for example, is a bank, right? It's, it's actually a bank, right? right? One of the ten largest banks in the U.S. So, which is uh, bizarre. I had no idea before we did this number. So what what I think is happening is basically, brokerage has become an essential component of people's lives. Yep. And um, you know, it is one way for the the banks. Mm to essentially integrate and keep customers together, right? So, you know, you, you keep your savings account with us. Mm. You keep your checking account with us. You keep your trading with us. You keep, you know, take your advice from us. It's basically that integration thing that they're trying to do. Um, and they're giving you a little something on the side, which is free, which happens to be that.
1: I'm right? hearing you say gateway drug.
2: Well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's like, uh, you know, when you go to buy a car, yeah. right? Your dealer gives you blah, 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 free. <laughs> right. Well, nothing in this world is free, but you know, everybody will buy something because it's right. free. Right. So you got that. Oh, I'm going to give you floor mats for free.
1: I mean, nothing <laughs> is free.
2: I mean, the floor mats costs money.
1: Right. right, right. So, or, this you know, it's right? worse though, right? Because this is, is giving you something free and then trying to sell you something. I mean, this is, what this worries me here is that people end up being sold products they don't want or need. Because they got sucked into the free brokerage in the first place. Yeah, but it's
2: just like buying jeans, right? Buy one, get one free. Like, oh, if I buy two, <laughs> I get one free. I mean, this this whole thing, the whole world basically runs on this concept of free, right? Everybody yeah. loves free stuff. We so, do. So, you I'd know, the, that it's just, you know, in my world, this basically the brokerages have become the equivalent of the jeans, right? This is yeah. the free jeans that comes with the other jeans that you're buying, <laughs> for you're paying for, Um is that a problem in my world? No, you know, as long as I'm not buying the other jeans and I'm getting free brokerage, <laughs> I, I don't actually care. For me, it's very good. Fair I enough. love it. I actually now can buy one share on my Charles Schwab account and i laugh when mm-hmm. I buy that share. Sometimes I can just buy that share and then sell that share later on and again, laugh, Yeah. right? And, you know, if you're sucked into it, too bad for you. If you're not sucked into it, great for you.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's I, I, I think you're right in your um, definition. I have a slightly different view on the too bad for you, though. I, I think I think we should be warning people a little bit just to be careful of whatever. You know, it's the old Facebook thing, right? If it's free, you're the product. And I think to some degree, if you get sucked into E-Trade for the free brokerage, you're going to get bombarded with mortgage Stanley ads for their funds or their services or their bank accounts or their something else. And you actually may end up spending more with them than the brokerage you're saving if you let the marketing get to you, right?
2: Yeah, or it could also mean, I mean, you know, that's that's one version of the world, right? But it could also be, another version of the world could be that basically banks which do not have attached services to offer for mm. free, mm. basically are going to lose customers. Right, right, right. right? Is that a problem? I don't, you know, in a competitive world, it's fine. Um, You know, I would love to see zero dollar brokerage here in Australia. It would be awesome, Uh, and let the banks kick each other out, and you know, let them have a fist fight, and we all get a zero dollar brokerage. It'll be awesome for everyone here. I am in full support of zero dollar brokerage.
1: On that basis, you're also signing up for Facebook. No, that
2: is a that is a data sucking hole.
1: Hey, it's free. What's the problem? Yeah, but, As long you don't she, give it your data, it's okay to use for free. Was, no,
2: no, 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 no. no. <laughs> they're not giving me anything. Can you
1: hear? Can you hear the fishing rod? He's bitten.
2: There is nothing useful that they're giving me. <laughs> With the zero-dollar brokerage, I can actually trade for free. I love that. There I don't need anything from Facebook.
1: Let's move on. <laughs> Value stocks. market, Stock market. Index. Share
0: market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at
1: fool.com.au
0: forward slash triple M.
1: All right, mate. It is time to dip into the mailbag. Now, I've already mentioned we're going to have a special mailbag episode this coming Sunday. So get excited, Fools. If you've stuck with us this far, you'll probably like what we're doing. You'll probably like the fact there was an extra episode on this Sunday. We don't do it every week, but these days more often than not because we're getting lots of great questions. But before we get there, mate, we've got a couple to deal with today. First one comes from Giles. Giles says, hey, guys, just a quick one for the mailbag. Have you ever heard if Superfund fees are negotiable? And if not, do you think they should be? Keep up the great work, and Doc, I agree. Stay away from the evil Zuck empire known as Instagram. (laughs) Fool on, Giles. Giles, I said to you in response to this one, you're very, very lucky I'm even asking that question now after undermining my uh, Get Doc on Insta hashtag campaign. So just because I'm a nice bloke, I'm going to ask you a question, Giles, but you don't deserve it because you've... Massively undermine me, mate. So just have a good life. Giles yourself.
2: is just super smart.
1: <laughs> mate, super fees. Negotiable or not?
2: I don't know if they're negotiable or not, but I, I like the fact that they should be negotiable.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Giles, I'd be very, very surprised. These guys run on scale, and unless you've got a squillion bucks to go and spend with them, they're probably not going to – they don't have the equipment to do that. Um, They're just not built that way. So, mate, if you can do it. Look, a retail super fund, maybe. Frankly, rather than negotiating your fee down with somebody else – I would change funds and go with a cheaper fee because they're going to be cheaper probably ongoing or at least as long as you pay attention to it. So uh, I don't know the answer is the is the short version. Um, the, the long version is I don't think so, but I would absolutely go and try and find a better fund rather than try and knock a couple of basis points off the fee. Doc?
2: I have nothing to add.
1: Mate, question from Lockie. We're going to settle a bet. You ready? Yeah, let's do that. So Lockie says, Hi, Scott and Doc. Got a question for the podcast and we'd like you to solve a bet. We're well, always up for a bet. Over a few Friday night beers, without footy or cricket to watch, conversation moved to our solar systems and to shares and your brilliant podcast. Now, that was probably in order, and he said over a few beers. So I'm typically about the eighth beer that I decided to talk about the podcast. We'll, we'll, take, we'll assume, Lockie, this was done in sobriety, but we, it may not have been. After comparing solar systems, we got to discussing what's more of a value trap, supermarkets or Aussie banks. Doc won't have a view on this, I'm sure. Lockie says, I hold shares in Woolies something I bought when I was a poor uni student stacking shelves. I've been reluctant to sell, but if I park the sentimentality, I will sell as they seem overpriced. With a PE of 37 times earnings, a yield of 2.4% and growth of 40% in the last 12 months, surely it can't grow meaningfully from this point. Was looking to keep some funds in the consumer staples or grocery industry as we all need to eat, but the other guy, Coles, also seems fully priced. PE of 21, yield of 1.5 and growth of 35%. Are these what you call a classic value trap? We also discussed CBA and that the banks could also be a value trap. Supermarkets can at least screw suppliers. Banks are on notice for screwing customers, although they're still pumping out good yields. So here's the question. If you had to pick between Aussie banks or supermarkets, which poison would you choose? We've got to bet on which way both of you go. Plus a side bet. And I'll well, I, you've read the so I can't, I can't. I was going to hide it from you. I shouldn't. Plus, a side bet. Doc's first response: We neither. Consistency is a key for investing, isn't it? Full on, gents. From Lockie. Uh, Doc, is your first response going to be neither? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's the side bet one. So, uh, Lockie, you are on the hook, mate. You, I want to know who won, wins these bets, by the way. So, you, you, the side bet was was successful. Doc saying neither. Now, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to prod Doc with my virtual stick and say, mate, come on, you got to get off the fence for this one, just so the boys can settle their bet. Given the choice, supermarkets or banks? So here's the
2: thing, right? I would basically, I don't want to tell anybody what to do. But for example, (laughs) if I owned Woolies shares, (laughs) hypothetically speaking, Mm -hmm. I would be selling them. And if I had to buy a bank share, this is, again, hypothetical, speaking, which I would never do, but um, if I had to buy a bank <laughs> share... It's making you uncomfortable,
1: isn't it? It's making me very uncomfortable. <laughs>
2: it's, it's really out of my uh, comfort zone. I would be buying the cheapest possible bank among the big four, so which probably would, is likely to be either Westpac or maybe NAB, right? One of those.
1: Um, so can I put you down for, you like banks more than supermarkets right now?
2: No, I like certain cheap, cheaper <laughs> banks more than... The supermarkets. Mate, you're which, still getting split in your backside here
1: on this fence. <clears throat> well,
2: you know, like here's the thing, right? The supermarkets trade at multiples greater than uh, Google. Yeah, that no, tells you a lot. No, exactly.
1: <laughs> so something is going on. All right. So I'm going I'm to make this very clear for Lockie. You have no nothing in your portfolio. I give you a thousand bucks, and I say you have to buy either a bank or a supermarket. What are you buying?
2: Yeah, so one of the cheaper banks, like basically okay. either a, a, you know whichever one between the the Westpac and the so no definitely not CBA so between Westpac, <laughs> ANZ and NAB whichever looks cheaper and whichever seems less likely to go bust that's the one I'm going to buy
1: and mate for the fun of it yeah if you had to buy all the banks or both the supermarkets which would you go with oh with the same money so not doubling up like a thousand bucks you got to either buy 50-50 you know, Woolies Coles or 25% to the big four banks. What are you going with?
2: Oh, this is hard. I'm uh, Probably the banks, maybe. Like, I mean, on a relative basis, they seem better. <laughs> but what do I know?
1: <laughs> Very good. There you go, Lucky. Again, let us know who won that bet. Now, you asked me for my thoughts. Mate, I'm finding this as hard as Doc, not because I'm as allergic to them as Doc is. I've owned Woolies in the past, as I mentioned already. We own NAB in Everlasting Income. Uh, I have to say, I mean, with Doc, I think, unless... Unless they manage to really grow again next year and bring those PEs down by virtue of lifting the E, in other words, as profit goes up, the PE comes down, which is possible for the big supermarkets, even not, you know, notwithstanding the the risks to the Australian financial system with high house price and all that kind of stuff, I just think if you had to choose, the chance that Woolies goes on to beat the market at at already 37 times earnings is just phenomenally difficult. Doc's already mentioned, hey, what if CBA comes down from 18 times to, to 12 or 10? Well, this comes out from thirty-seven times to fourteen. I mean that you know there's just so much downside there. That may not, and I'm not suggesting it should or will. Um, I just think it's just it's just stupid. I don't. I just don't get it. Either I'm missing something really significant, or investors are a little bit nuts. And I think it's hopefully the latter, because otherwise, you know, I like to be smart and right. Um, but on that basis, I've got to go with the banks, unfortunately. So let's see whether uh, Lockie was right or not. All right, mate. That is about it for today's podcast. We are going to be back this Sunday. You'll come back in the studio Sunday morning, won't you, and record oh, this for I, me? Oh, I will fly. you fly? Mm-hmm. Helicopter or a light plane?
2: I'll take an electric plane.
1: <laughs> of course you will. Are there any electric planes yet? Uh, probably not. I don't think so. Can't be far away, can they?
2: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'll take a Qantas electric plane.
1: <laughs> I promise you we're not drinking. It's only 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, if you want to get in touch with us for a mailbag, not for this Sunday, because we're already going up well. Secret squirrel, we're going to record that in about two minutes' time. But uh, this Sunday, in theory, we are going to release a mailbag episode. If you want to get in touch with us, hit us up on our socials. Now, if you're on Doc's favourite Facebook, you can hit us up at The Motley Fool Australia or me at Scott Phillips Money. Let, leave us a question, leave us a comment, let us know what you're thinking. If you want to use Doc's other favourite Instagram, you can get, he's very quiet. You can get us at The Motley Fool AU or I'm at TMF Scott P. That's on Instagram. If you're on Twitter, you actually can find Doc there. That's all Zuck buys Twitter, and Doc gives up on that one too. Doc is at Anirban Mahanti. I'm at TMF Scott P. And you can hit The Motley Fool up at The Motley Fool AU. Send us a direct message. Leave us a question. Our DMs are open, as the cool kids say. And, of course, if you need to, you have to, email us at info at to get in touch. That does wrap us up, mate. So... Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or your favourite Android podcast app. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes, leave us some comments, throw us some stars, tell your friends who couldn't use a little bit more foolish straight talk as well. And if you like what Doc's been saying, and you should because he's a smart bloke and knows what he's doing, and if you want to trial his very, very successful market-beating investment newsletter, we've got a special deal for you. For listeners only, you can go to fool.com.au forward slash EO Podcast, EO for Extreme Opportunities, and get some of Doc's very best goodness, his monthly recommendations. He and Kevin doing a spectacular job there beating the market. And what's better than beating the market and making some money? Not much, I don't think. So that's fool.com.au forward slash EO Podcast. Sign up for a very special price, and Doc and Kevin will look after you beautifully. And of course, get a little bit of straight talk from us directly. by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week and this Sunday with another dose of foolish insight. Fool on. Fool on. The Motley Fool and people
0: appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691.